What up, what up, what up, y'all? Welcome to When the Hunt Calls. I am your host, Cliff Cadet, and it is time again to talk turkey. All right, so here's the deal. Last episode, my guest was Dr. Cade Wilson, and uh, he and I were basically talking about turkey hunting tactics because my first spring turkey season is coming up in about um, a little over a week. Um, after that interview, I listened to the recording uh, at least twice, uh, jotted down some notes, and I still had some questions. So I invited um, Cade to come back on the podcast again. He graciously accepted. Um, so listen in right now in our conversation, which is really just um, a few questions I had, a few follow-up questions that I had um, based on the stuff that uh, we talked about last episode. All right, so sit back, relax, and enjoy our little Q&A. Back on again for uh, this episode of When the Hunt Calls, man. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me again. Um, so here's the deal. Um, after speaking with you on last week's episode, I felt like I, I was left with a little bit of homework to do because uh, <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I learned a lot. So. Right. I'm gonna. I've I've got a couple of questions. Um, I'm gonna throw at you in in a minute. But first, I wanted to start out with a listener question. All okay. Right? Sure. So so one of my listeners caught on to the fact that you're a doctor. That specifically, mm -hmm. you're you're a veterinarian. Right. Um, and they had asked whether or not is a conflict of interest for you. Um, a personal conflict, being that you're sure. a vet and you're a hunter. Um, right. how's that? How's that go for you? I mean, it, it goes fine. You know. I have that question a lot. And the thing is, I was a hunter way before I was ever a veterinarian. And to tell you the truth, I would probably not be a veterinarian if I didn't start out a hunter. Because that is where my love of the outdoors and love of, of animals, period, uh, began. You know, growing up, we had some bird dogs. Um, from a little age we had back then we quail hunted quite a bit. So we had pointers and Britneys and, and then I had a lab. And so always had pets around. And then, um, from there, as I got older and we got more into deer hunting and turkey hunting, we had several places that we, that we hunted on that had large animals, cattle mostly. And so of a lot of the things we did when we weren't hunting on those properties, we helped those ranchers out with with their day-to-day -day tasks and so it gave me a love for that type of animal um, wow. that i would not have had if i wasn't uh, a hunter and so i'm gonna make a, a short story really long but when when i was in college uh, i hadn't figured out what i wanted to do in life and my dad gave me this little work problem trying to figure out what what where i should go with my life and and one of the things he asked me was to make a list of all the things that I loved. He probably doesn't remember me doing this, but he, and he was trying to help me, you know, with my, with my journey in life. And so writing down all the things that I loved were the outdoors, animals, and medicine. And, and animals at that point were because I had dogs growing up and this, mm -hmm. this um, livestock that I worked. Um, and then of course the game animals that I hunted, I mean, I didn't differentiate those at all. Is it 
weird? Are there people that can't separate that? Yes, there are people that can't mm-hmm. separate that. But you know, there's a, there's a difference in my mind between going to hunt a turkey or a deer or a duck and and saving the life of the pets that walk into my life. That's different. Um, now I want all those creatures that I'm after. I want them to have be safe, and I want mm-hmm. them to have what they want too. But it's just a different way of going to the grocery store. You know, I mean, there's people out there that are, that are not hunters, but are consuming uh, animal proteins. Well, I don't really see the difference between you going to buy bacon at the store and me going wild hog hunting. Mm-hmm. That's just a different way of collecting, cr- collecting what you're supposed to, to enjoy and to eat. So, um, it's not something that I, I mean, there, again, there's people that can't separate those things. Um, mm-hmm. and I know that. And so I don't, I mean, I don't just blast it to the world. I mean, there's some fights you don't, if you don't have to fight them, you don't, um, mm-hmm. but I'm willing, but I'm willing to fight them because I think what I do is there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm going to save and help and, and, and improve the life of thousands upon thousands of animals that I'm not going to harm in any way. So, Got it. Got it. I could definitely respect that. All right. So um, the next couple of questions, I've got five questions and hopefully, okay. you know, we can get them all. I can get them all in, you know, uh, sure. within this one interview. Um, now, last episode when we spoke, you had mentioned that you definitely want the, as a hunter, the turkeys should always be made to feel safe to go back to where they're roosting. Sure. So, so if after scouting, I figured out where, um, you know, the turkeys are roosting, right. how far, how far away should I set up? Okay. So I'm going to back up just a little bit. So this mm-hmm. roost, a roost can be a couple of trees. A roost can be a whole Creek drainage. I mean, it could be, uh, they're not always going to go to the exact same tree, but it's usually fairly close, but that may be okay. hundreds of yards apart. Um, mm. And they may have a couple of different roosting areas. And so uh, I wish it were super cut and dried, but more times than not, it's going to be in the same general area in the spring. And so as far as how close you should get, man, the terrain and the land is going to dictate that a lot. You know, it's, it's not always going to be right out of a postcard, just the perfect setup. Uh, you, again, you kind of got to know where they're wanting to go. So again, mm-hmm. you're on the, on the right side. If you're, you know, if you're a hundred yards away, but they're, they're going the other way, mm-hmm. then they're going to usually pitch out of that tree, fly down, and they're not going to jump straight down. They're going to sail out there 20, 30, 40, 70 yards. And so... Mm-hmm. I usually tell people if you can get around a hundred, I think that's fine. Uh, okay. There's times you can't you can't do that. Um, you can get too close. You can also not know exactly where they're at, and this is going to happen. It happens to everybody that's a turkey hunter. You get to where you think they're going to pitch down, and the sun starts to crack, and you're sitting against a tree, and all of a sudden the turkey gobbles, and he's right above you. <laughs> or, he's in the, or he's in the next tree and you're like, well, this isn't ideal, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's going to happen because they're not always going to be right where they, you left them mm-hmm. because they could fly to the next tree, you know, just trying to get in the right predicament or right spot for themselves. Um, 
you know, this last Saturday, to give an example, I got out of my truck. I, I actually, I did a little pre-interview uh, in my truck uh, before I hunted last Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I got out of my truck. It's early, really early. I'm getting all the stuff in my pockets and all the stuff it feels like I need anymore to turkey hunt. And I literally still have the door cracked to my truck. And I thought, I'm going to owl hoot just to see if anybody's close by. Turkey gobbled right where I was going to walk down this lane. And I was going to walk right underneath him. And I was going to go past him 100 or more yards. Because he gobbled not normally where he would be. Um, And so I didn't have very many options. There was not a tree within 200 yards that I could get to. So I set up on him about 200 yards away. And Mm -hmm. that's what the situation dictated. And that's what the lay of the land dictated. And and it worked. It worked out. It was a nice turkey. And I I harvested that bird. But uh, it didn't work out the way I thought. So you can do all your homework. And and he may not sleep in the tree he was supposed to. Got it. Got it. The other thing is, the the other thing is, um, there's times where that roost, if you got a small property, is not going to be on you, you know, and that may, you may say, well, I can't go to the roost. I'm going to have to know where he goes early on in the day and be there. I've got a property like that. The the main roost is three or 400 yards away from my property boundary. And so I don't get a perfect roost hunt. You know, my hunts for those turkeys usually start an hour into the day, knowing which mm. way I think they're going to travel. So, um, there's going to be properties you hunt on that are 10 acres. There's going to be properties you can have that are endless uh, acreage. So it, it all depends on the lay of the land and what you, what you can have access to. Got it. All right. So um, my next question is about anatomy. Now, what's been really cool, what's been really cool about interacting with you, um, and I greatly appreciate it, is that you've been um, sharing some clips with me. Um, while you've been out hunting, while you've been out scouting. Now, one of those videos I actually shared on Instagram the other, the other day, and you were going over, Mm -hmm. um, a little bit of the anatomy of the turkey. So what, what I wanted to know is what's the significance of the length of a turkey's beard and, and the spurs? Because I see, I see a lot of hunters post that on social media when the spurs are really long, when, um, it's got like a double beard or something like that. So what's the significance of all that? Okay, so we'll start with the beard. So the beard is what I like to call a secondary sex trait, meaning majority of the time it's only the males, but a female can have a beard. It's mm-hmm. I don't know the exact numbers as far as how many out of how many, but uh, I've seen a lot of bearded hens in my life. So that's why a lot of these states have that as you can harvest a bearded hen because it's easy if you saw that in the wrong situation to shoot the wrong turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a beard, so, uh, a first year male Turkey, which we call a Jake will have a, a shorter beard because it, it grows throughout their life. And that beard may be an inch long and you can't even see it coming out of the feathers. And mm-hmm. it could be five or six inches long. I, I've seen them as long as, you know, around that six inch range, but usually they're three to four inches and they'll poke straight out or they're barely, they're barely hang down. And that just, that's a visual, you can tell that they're a little bit smaller as far as weight goes, but they've got a short beard. That's a, that's a first spring turkey. They're a year old. Mm -hmm. 
Got and, it. um, and most, most people that are, um, hunted a long time, try to not harvest those turkeys. Uh, I know I, I try not to, and there you'll make a mistake. There are times because I'll get to other reasons for that in a minute. But, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned with new hunters to the world, I mean, you only get good at hunting turkeys by hunting turkeys. So I have, I personally have zero problem with people shooting Jake turkeys. I don't think it's that big a deal. Mm-hmm. My, uh, my kids, I let them make the decision. And so there's, I mean, right now we've harvested two turkeys as far as my kids go and they, they've been mature toms, but my daughter's getting pretty antsy. So I, I feel bad for the next turkey that gets close, you know, so I don't think she's going to be very picky. Um, as, All right, real, real, real quick, I'm sorry, just so I get the, because this is the first time I'm really hearing all the names being used at, okay. at once in a conversation. So Toms are mature males. So Jake, a Tom, yeah, a Tom technically could be any male turkey, any but male usually, turkey. usually is regarded for, you know, two years or older. And a Jake? A, a Jake is a one-year-old male turkey. A hen is obviously a, a female turkey. Okay. If you really wanted to get technical, a Jenny is a one-year-old female turkey. Oh wow! I've, I haven't. I've heard the other three. The other three names. I've never heard Jenny. So thanks for that. Yeah, I think a lot. I mean, I don't know how you would really tell a, a one-year-old female turkey from a four-year-old team female turkey. You know, I mean, visually they look the same, um, but early on, you know, this late summer, you can tell. Um, the very, very young females from the young males. So, um, but yes, that's, that's the names. All right. Um, so back to, back to beards. So All right. beards grow throughout the turkey's life. Mm-hmm. All right. And so, uh, it's hard because to, to know an age of a turkey just from its beard after, after that Jake stage. And for a couple of reasons, all the different subspecies of turkeys, and you've probably learned by now there's five in North America or in the United States. And um, those subspecies, uh, the, some will have potential for longer beards than others. You know, a Miriam turkey, which is the mountain turkey of the Western states, they tend to have the smallest beard. And, and that's genetics, and it's also where they live. Whereas an Eastern wild turkey and an Osceola wild turkey has potential for the longest beards. Um, mm. That's part of just the subspecies. Now, they, they, I mean, when I'm talking about longer, we're talking maybe an inch longer, you know, than a Rio Grande. Um, the other thing that really weighs on it is uh, the height of a turkey. Mm-hmm. So, so the main reason a beard would get shorter is when a turkey bends over to feed that beard will start to drag on the ground or drag on the vegetation. Okay. So mm-hmm. if, if, if whatever they're feeding in is taller or rougher, it's more likely to start wearing that beard off. So eventually a turkey will get to where that's as long as it's going to get just because it's wearing off at the tip. So, uh, an Eastern or a Osceola that tends to be a little bit taller for its subspecies, which mean the beard is higher off the ground to start. Mm-hmm. And then feeding in an area that the food source is lower and not being rubbed, you know, beard's not rubbing the, the vegetation, mm-hmm. that's going to have a bigger beard. 
that's going to have a longer beard. And so, um, that's, that's, a, that's how they grow. They grow throughout their life. And a male turkey will tend to, at the upper end, live to be four or five years old at the best. And so it's only going to get so long. And then it's going to start rubbing off. So, Got it. And um, the length of spurs. spurs. So spurs. The spurs is a little bit easier way to age a turkey, as far as I'm concerned. So a Jake back to that one-year-old turkey, he's just going to have bumps. And those bumps will not be sharp. They will be rounded. They'll be a half an inch or so in length, maybe smaller, maybe just a touch bigger. And then every year that that spur grows a, a certain amount, usually about a half an inch or so a year. So you get a, a two-year-old turkey. He's going to have somewhere around an inch-long spur, and it'll be sharper it may not be sharp, but it'll be pointed. And then, and it may be an inch and an eighth. Again, depends on where you live, depends on your subspecies. Um, the next year, it's going to get a little longer. It may be closer to an inch and a quarter uh, or more. And then you get to those turkeys that are inch and a half or better. Mm-hmm. That's, an old, that's an old turkey. You know, that's a four-year-old or better. And again, just like every other thing on earth, you're going to have some genetic freaks out there. You know, you're going to have the, the Shaquille O'Neal of turkeys where he's going to be bigger. He's going to have potential to grow faster. You know what I mean? And so um, you get a turkey who's, who's spur. I don't care where you live. And they're an inch and a half long. That's an old turkey. And he is he has been around the block. And so, again, subspecies uh, have, their, have their differences, whereas an Osceola will grow a lot longer spur than a, than a Miriam. You know, you shoot a Miriam that's got an inch long spur. That's a giant Miriam turkey. And so, uh, but it just, they just grow throughout. And that's their primary fighting method. They jump up and hook each other with those spurs. And so that's why they're growing those to begin with. And I grew up listening to um, the Primos Truth About Hunting series that back, back when I was just really, really getting into this. Mm-hmm. Um, Will Primos was starting to put those out and, and he was from pretty close to where I was living back then. So I really, I mean, he got me hook, line and sinker and I, I love Will Primos to this day. And he's, his Turkey call, a, a Will Primos number one is my go-to diaphragm by the way, but mm-hmm. he coined a term, at least in my brain of a limb hanger and a limb hanger means a Turkey that you can take his spurs and stick them over a limb, and that turkey will hang on a limb by his spurs. And that's a significant tom if you shoot a turkey that can hang on a limb by his hooks. Um, and so I'll throw a little bit out there to Will Primos because I've used that term ever since. But that's a nice. significant turkey. I like that. So I, I hope to shoot a limb hanger uh, this Me spring, too. So. I want to see a picture of that. <laughs> I think if you look at my Instagram last week. And that turkey I shot Saturday was for sure a limb hanger. Got it. Nice, nice. All right. So now my third question. Um, this being my first turkey hunt, mm-hmm. um, do you think I should use a decoy? I think that uh again, there's times where decoys have messed me up, but I think a decoy is good, especially for a bow hunter, because it gives them something to focus on. So hopefully 
you can get that bow drawn back. You know, talking to you specifically, you're going to be bow hunting. And so mm-hmm. anything I, I can help you with to take uh, the vision off of you, a decoy is handy. It also is a spot where you could range find that decoy and know exactly how far that is. So you may not have to get mm-hmm. your range finder to range the, the Tom that's right there. If, he's, if you know it's 20 yards away and he's standing beside it, no range finder needed. I didn't even yeah. think about that. That definitely so, the the decoy could definitely just serve as a as a marker. Yeah. Yep. Or if nothing else, you've got it at ten yards. You know, man, he's about ten yards farther or whatever. It's it's a it's a range finder uh, that you've got already stuck out there. So I, I would say hen, hen decoy would be the safest play for you. Um, you know, using Jake or or Tom decoys. There's times that that's great, and there's times that it will hurt you. And so I think a hen decoy is by far the safest for you. Got it. Got it. All right. So my, my next two questions, actually my last two, um, have to do with turkey calls and turkey mm-hmm. calling. All right. Yep. So right. Of, of all the types of turkey calls out there, you know, the <clears throat> box call, slate, diaphragm, um, all of that, right? Sure. What's, what's the easiest for, or better yet, what would be the best one? out of all those for a new bow hunter to use keeping keeping in mind like for me i'd like to keep my hands free for free. my bow so right. what would be the easiest and, and most um what's the word i'm looking for um i can't find it but either what would be the <laughs> easiest one for me to use all right so so um we're about two weeks away from turkey ah, season efficient for efficient there we go easiest and most yep. efficient for me to use all right so I've, I've been using a diaphragm. I've had a diaphragm in my call, in my mouth every spring for about 35 years. Wow. Okay. And so I started really young and that is, I'm not saying you can't learn in two weeks, but I'd be impressed. Okay. (laughs) I think that that's a great thing for you to begin to master because you can be completely hands-free. Completely hands-free. And so uh, I would recommend you try that and get working on that. Your turkey season starts in two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And so the, the, the easiest call for somebody to use is a box call. You can pick up a box call and I could have you call in a turkey in a day. Okay? Oh, wow. you, okay. you, you could do that. And, and, and I'm not telling, saying you're going to learn every call or anything, but the the basics you would need to go turkey hunting, you could pick up in a day. There are different types of box calls. Most are the paddle type, and that's what I'd have you get because you could do it. Mm-hmm. But there's also a push button type where it looks like a box and there's a peg in the middle and you push one in and the spring pulls it back. And you can make some really good yelps and some good clucks and some good purrs with that. And as a bow hunter learning you could run that one-handed, okay? You don't have to have two hands for that. So you could use your box call when the, the, the main type, when the tom is way out there and you're calling him in. And as soon as you're like, okay, I need my hand, at least my bow hand on the bow, mm-hmm. you could switch to the, the push button type and continue to call even with your release on your hand. I'm assuming you're shooting with a release, Right. Yep. I haven't really looked that close. You, even with your release on your hand, you could be running that push button call. You could do it. And mm-hmm. that's the type when I've early on introduced my kids to those things because they could be successful almost instantly. 
And um, that's what I would tell you to go get. I like select calls. I have them. Um, they're, I think, a little bit harder for a novice to get the, the, the feeling for. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, and they make, they sound great. I, I've got a lot of them that sound really good um, that I've collected through the years. But you could get a box call and you could go turkey hunting this weekend. I mean, you could do it. I have no doubt in my mind. And we're going to talk about what calls to do pretty quickly. Yes, actually. Yeah, yeah. That was going to be the next question. But I would tell people a box call, probably a push button call to go with that. They're not quite as loud. But if he's already coming towards you, you don't need it to be really loud. You just need to convince him that you're still there. Mm -hmm. Um, Slate call will be second. I think it's a little easier to run a slate call than run a a diaphragm call. But Mm -hmm. once you get good at a diaphragm call, that may be all you want to have. Um, mm. I don't know how many turkey calls I have in my house. A hundred. <laughs> I've got a bunch that I've collected through the years. But uh, when I go turkey hunting, I've got about three or four diaphragm calls in my pocket and probably only one that's going to stay in my mouth anyway. Um, it just depends on if a turkey seems interested but not real interested. I may give him a little bit different tone just to see if he likes it a little bit better. But I would I would advise you this spring to get a box call because I think it would make you uh, potentially more successful. All right. So final question. All right. As you, okay. uh, you know, already alluded to um, what I wanted to know is again, being new to Turkey hunting, mm-hmm. um, what type of call um, should I get comfortable with? Not necessarily, not necessarily become, you know, proficient in, you know, in the short amount of time or, but something that any, any new, new hunter, um, that you would advise get familiar with. Okay. All, all you need to start working on is a Yelp. I mean, if if you only knew how to Yelp on the, on Mm -hmm. a call of any type, you could harvest a turkey. I mean, everything else is, is, is just, adding layers to the reality of the situation. All right. But if you sat by a tree or in a blind and you sat there and randomly yelped, you know, in a spot that turkeys live, mm-hmm. you will call a turkey in. If you're patient, that's the thing that's hard for a lot of people is the patience part. But <laughs> if, if you, I mean, a uh, three to five yelps in a row, um, an assembly call, an assembly call is a term that a, that a, a hen does, and it's around nine to 10 or so yelps in a row. Um, it's just telling everybody, hey, I'm over here. Things are looking good. Come on over, hang out. You're assembling that group of turkeys. That's why I call it an assembly call. Um, that would be fine. But if you could just yelp, it's good enough. Okay. It's not going to kill every turkey on earth. But you're gonna you're gonna bring a lot of turkeys in with just doing that. The next thing I'd have somebody be able to do is to be able to cluck. Mm-hmm. Uh, a cluck is just a, a, a sound a turkey is gonna make a female turkey where they're just they're they're calm and everything's going good. Now <clears throat> there is a, a a sound a turkey makes called a putt, and a putt is a little bit higher pitched uh, cluck. And it says that things aren't great. I'm leaving. <laughs> and so you don't want to be making that sound. But 
you know, that, that comes with, you know, filming yourself or recording yourself and listening to it and knowing what that sounds like to a turkey. But a cluck and some yelps would be great if you can purr, uh, which is not as easy on a box call. It's pretty easy on a push button call, real easy on a slate call. Mm-hmm. And some people can do it on a, on a diaphragm. Some people can't. But again, that's a feeding call. Mm-hmm. That just says everything's good over here and we're calm and everything's great. So those three calls uh, would be what I'd have somebody try to be able to do. Cutting, which is an excited, I'm excited. I'm trying to pick a fight. I'm not just, um, that's that sound that over time you could get to know. You got to mm-hmm. know when to deploy that. A cackle, again, excited yelp. You kind of got to know when to deploy that. But if you could yelp and cluck, you, you can you can turkey hunt with that. So I would I would just start getting good at that. Nice. All right. Thank you. I appreciate all of this, Kate. I, I really appreciate this because this is just adding oh, um, you know, a wealth of information to my arsenal. Um yeah. and and I'm really looking forward to getting out there in a couple of weeks. Uh so I guess wrap this up. Thank you again, brother. I truly appreciate it. No problem, man. You have a blessed day, man. You too. Thank you. All right, John. That is a wrap. Um, I really want to thank Cade for returning to the podcast um, and answering my questions. Um, I really hope between, you know, the last episode and this one, um, I'm able to take all the information he shared with me and translate all of that into a successful hunt, successful in terms of, you know, harvesting a turkey. All right. Now, don't forget, um, as of last episode, Phone Scope and uh, Cade were really cool about setting up a discount code for all you guys to take advantage of. So don't forget to swing by the phone sto- the phone scope website, which is www.phonescope.com and um use the discount code CW10 uh, when you're checking out uh, for a 10% discount. All right. And now if you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you hook me up with a five star rating, five star review. Um, you know what? Just because if you're enjoying it as much as I'm enjoying putting out this content, um, I'd really like other people to, you know, I'd really like it for it to be easier for them to find um this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on all right so you guys stay safe stay healthy because you know it's a lot of craziness going on out there all right be blessed